Welcome to this Jeremy Bambert and White House Farm podcast. My name is Yvonne Hartley from the Jeremy Bambert Innocence Campaign. And tonight I am joined by my colleague, Philip Walker. Hello, Philip. Good evening. And we're also joined by our patron and Jeremy supporter, Michael O'Brien. Hi, Mike. Hi, good evening. Thank you for joining us. Tonight, Mike's going to speak about some of the miscarriage of justice cases which he has experience about. Um, we thought it would be a, a good thing to bring to the attention of people, not only high-profile cases, but also maybe little-known cases that are still existing today where people are fighting for their freedom and fighting for justice. So, Mike, you've worked on a lot of miscarriage of justice cases over the years, haven't you? I've, I've worked on um, many, you know, and I've identified a number of miscarriages of justices, you know, in the early years. Um, to give you an example, um, you know, um, Mich- Michelle Diskin's uh, brother, Barry George, you know what I mean? I, I was the first, one of the first in Wales to start questioning uh, what was going on in that case and pointed out that he was very much like my co-accused Aaron Hall, who had a, you know, um, who wasn't very bright, he had issues. And yeah. I, I told people this, and I was I was laughed at. They all thought I was a crank. But then when Barry George got his name cleared, those same people came to me for an interview. And yeah. so it's quite ironic that these people who scoffed at me, if you like, um, I was proved right. So and that's happened on a number of occasions, you know? So, um, yes, yes it, it, it's, it's very intriguing sometimes the way the media uh, are very philosophical about things, and, and the public as well, you know. But we all know that Barry George was definitely innocent, and I knew Absolutely. it from an early stage. Uh, Colin Stagg was another one. I, I didn't work on Colin Stagg's case, but I did follow it, and you could clearly see what was going on in that case. And I fully supported, you know, that, that case to be looked at again, because, we, you know, we feel that... Um, there's no accountability for what the, you know, what was done in that, you know, to Colin Stagg, you know what I mean? He was, they were trying to set him up, but I mean, it was quite obvious. I mean, um, there's been a documentary, I think, recently about Colin Stagg's case on Channel 5. And, uh, yes, it has uh, deceit. Hasn't it? Yes. It just shows as well how much the media can impact on cases because the media take sides and the media paint people to be what they're not. They need, they need the person to fit into their scenario of what this person would be to commit that crime. And then it gets exaggerated as the years progress, doesn't it? Absolutely. There's another case I'm working on at the moment. I have never seen anything like it in my life. And I'm going to explain the case to everybody because it's, it's a joint enterprise case, but it's not. It shouldn't have been a joint enterprise case. Now, the case of Joe Fetter, again, is in Could my... You, Mike, I'm sorry to interrupt, but could you please explain what joint enterprise is to the people that don't know? Well, joint enterprise means that if you're in the vicinity or if you're with somebody and an incident occurs, that you could be liable for the, for the actual act that one person does. You know what I mean? That's what I mean by joint enterprise. You know, if there's three of you go out there with the intention to cause harm, then you will, whether you've touched the person or not, the other, per, the other two people have touched the person or not, you will still get found guilty of murder or robbery or burglary or whatever yeah. uh, joint enterprise they think you were involved in. Now, with 
Joe Fetter's case um, is a recent case. It's a 2016 case. And what it was, there was a crash. And this Joe Fetter was behind the person who smashed into this lady coming out of a garage. All called on CCTV footage. But according to the police, Joe was racing this person. And that's why they crashed into the car. Now, there's a number of factors here. Um, I found some, we found some new evidence since he was found guilty and got five years for, you know, causing the smash. And yet his car did not touch the victims. I mean, it's really extraordinary. And I mean, it's even more extraordinary when you look at the fact was um, he was nowhere near where the car got smashed. He was further back. And yes, he was, you know, he might have been slightly speeding. We all do it. But that doesn't mean he's responsible for whatever happens in front of him. But this is what they've done. The, the, the defence didn't call the person who actually committed the crime and admitted it. And yet he said that the, the guy called Oten, who was a police officer's son, turned around and said, I don't know this Joe Fetter. Who is he? So why didn't the defence call him to say, well, I don't know the guy. I wasn't racing with him. And he actually said he wasn't racing with him. So that was the one thing. Then we found the taxi driver who said he's seen the car going at certain miles an hour and witnessed the actual crash and said that Joe Fetter was not speeding on that stretch of road in Barry. I mean, there's a film on YouTube called uh, An Autonomy of Injustice of Joe Fetter, and you can see the footage. And I mean, very important case because it means... Um, if I was somebody, because maybe you were going too fast, um, I could get done because I saw what you did, even though you didn't know me. It's just shocking, I mean, isn't it? I, I put Joe's case in the book. It's, it's, it's the last one in the book. And I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. You know, I, 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 I know there was a victim's family. And I, I gotta, I got to say, you know, it was tragic what happened. But to take an innocent man down when they already had the perpetrator for that crime is evil and wicked. And people can watch that footage for themselves on YouTube, Mike. They can watch it on YouTube, yeah. Type in Joe Fetter uh, and, and it will come up straight away. An, autonom an autonomy of injustice, Joe Fetter. I did an interview for that programme as well. And I, I give my, my professional views on what I thought. And the man's life is rude. He's never... Been in trouble with the police, not at all. He, he, no. I mean, he's a well-to-do uh, young man. His life's been ruined by this miscarriage of justice. Um, his father is absolutely devastated. I was in school with his father, and I, I, I hadn't seen him for thirty odd years. And when I looked at the case, I looked at it because I, I knew that knew with the father. But yeah. you know, if I thought for one minute. That Joe actually took part in this race or took part in this, you know, I would say so, but that's not the case at all. And I mean, it's got to be one of the newest Miss Kelly Morris's case and Roy Moore's in, 20, in 2006. So, you know, th that's where we are with Joe's case. Now, we went for an appeal and the judge wouldn't allow new evidence in. So he wouldn't allow the new evidence. Wouldn't allow the new evidence in. No, he, he, he applied out of time, you know, under the Criminal Appeals Act, 1968, to go for an appeal out of time. 
because the taxi driver come forward after he seen that documentary that we all made on Joe's case. Mm-hmm. And he said, I know Joe wasn't racing because I saw what happened. So, you know, uh, he was actually a driving instructor who was giving somebody lessons in the car and he seen it whiz past. And he seen exactly what occurred. And yet they wouldn't allow it in because they said, well, it should have been available at the time of the trial. How was that possible? If the witness hasn't come forward at that time, then it's not possible, is it? It's just ridiculous. Absolutely. This, you know, Joe's, Joe's case, you know, people say, well, it's only five years. I've made all of, you know, the, some, some horrible comments, you know, that it's only a small sentence. He'll get over it. No, he won't get over no, it. You no. know, he's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. He should have had an appropriate adult in there because he was very vulnerable. That was another point we, we've looked at. We hope we to get a new solicitor and barrister to look at the case with a view to getting it to the CCRC and getting a new appeal. But, it, you know, if anybody wants to read the story, it's the last case in my the book, The Dossier, and it's extraordinary. And I would say, look on YouTube and look at that video. And, and, and then if anyone can tell me this man is guilty, I'd be very surprised indeed. Thank you for that story, Matt. I mean, it's incredible that people would have the attitude that, well, it's only a short sentence and they'll get over it. It's like every uh, five minutes spent wrongly convicted is too long. Never mind five years, or as in Jeremy's case, 36 years. It's just appalling. I think what people got to remember, there's a lot of mundane cases, and I, I don't mean that in any derogatory term whatsoever. When I say mundane cases, I'm on about cases where people have been wrongly convicted of car thefts or burglaries, and you don't hear about them. And since That's the good story broke in 1989, 85,000 appeals were overturned. And most of them were mundane cases where people would never have heard of them. But nevertheless, they've lost their jobs. They've lost their, you know, they've lost their house because they couldn't keep up the mortgage. And the damage right. it does, whether it's a mundane case of a burglary or whether it's a high-profile one like Jeremy's, it has a de- the same devastating effect. Absolutely. Um, just effect. because a case doesn't hit the newspaper headlines or the television news doesn't mean it isn't real and ongoing for that person, their families, their children, their loved ones, and they have to live this every day. It's just appalling. But Mike, you seem to have well, a plethora. You know, of these... I, I've got it. I've got it. Pardon? Sorry, I was. I was just saying. You seem to have a plethora of these cases in South Wales, uh, a, a lot more than other parts of the country seem to get. What, what, what do you think are the common threads that link all these cases that you have in your area? What I've noticed there's a total disregard for the Police and Criminal Evidence Act. In some of these cases, like the, when people should have an appropriate adult or access to lawyers, be, they were being denied those things. Now, in, my, in the dossier, I've got 15 cases, including my own, where I believe are all miscarriage of justice cases. Now, when you consider we're only a population of 3 million, 4 million, um, and, and you magnify that by say, 70 million you've got in England, and yet you hear more about South Wales police, you know, in, in, in the round, in, in, in relation to miscarriages of justices. Something is seriously, seriously wrong here. 
And I'll give you an example. Not one police officer in South Wales has ever been done for causing a miscarriage of justice. Not one solicitor or barrister has been held accountable for shoddy work and causing a miscarriage of justice. And the solicitors as well, you know, um, when I call for a judicial inquiry into all these cases in my book, I don't mean just the police. I mean, that would be letting too many people off the hook. You've got to look at the barristers, the solicitors, you know, the judges' role in all this. Um, Just ask yourself this question. How can three solicitors, three junior counsels, three QCs and a judge miss 115 breaches of the police and criminal evidence? If that isn't corruption, then I don't know what is. You know what I mean? That is not. You can accept more of you. And that, that just gives you an idea. And when you look at these cases in my book, the Welsh Conspiracy case is, is even worse than my own case. They actually planted potassium chloride in one of the defendant's bedrooms, Adrian Stone's, and before it was analysed, they knew what it was. They told the defence team, we've got potassium chloride on you. So the defence phoned up the forensic laboratory and they said, we haven't even tested it yet. But they already told them what it was. <laughs> So they got caught out. So they got caught out planting potassium chloride and out that Adrian Stone was involved in bombing the holiday homes in 1984. Absolutely outrageous. And there's more to that story in my book where Applied Company Councillor um, Nick Hodges, they inserted 18 words into his confession. And in that confession, you can imagine, it was highly incriminating. You know, exactly the same as what they'd done to me. And it was the same police officer. Same police officer, Inspector Stuart Lewis, who was well known. Stuart Lewis. It's crazy, isn't and, it? And Stuart Lewis is linked to a number of cases in my book, at least seven to eight cases. The same <laughs> police that officer. Or that common thread of like a confession evidence or verbal admissions made by the defendants. Now, in every case, the jury disbelieved him. And only one conclusion. Now, one case which is not in my book, the same police officer, he is probably one of the worst police officers. For That's why we need a judicial inquiry, because I don't see why you should get away with it. No, we shouldn't get away with it, should I? I don't even care whether he's 76 in bad health or whatever. I'm in bad health, but if I go out and commit a criminal offence tomorrow, they wouldn't go, oh, sorry, we're not going to charge you because you've got bad health, Mr. O'Brien. They'd have me in and my feet wouldn't touch the ground. What's so different about this Inspector Stuart Lewis or any other police officer? For, for, we need a High Court judge, a retired High Court judge with wide-ranging powers who can come down to Cardiff on, and make recommendations like the Rent Simon Report or Justice in the Wake of the Birmingham Six. That's the scale we're looking at. It is big. There's 15 cases, and I know there's more I could have put in the book, but it would have been too much. So, Mike, are are there any other little-known cases that you've come across that would be of interest? Well, I think the case of the murder three, you know, that's what they were named by the press. Um, It was three women who got wrongly convicted of setting fire to a house, and they killed a young baby and 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 a mother... And, um, you know, it hit the headlines in Wales, but I don't think it's really touched England or outside of England. And I mean, 
it's a very important case because the police set out to get them at all costs, like they did with, with all the other cases. You what know, year and, was this, Mike, please? Pardon? What year was this case? This case was in, um, this case was in the 90s, this was. Yeah. Uh, this is way after my case. Um, they won their first appeal, luckily, but they were sentenced to 20 years, 13 years, and I think eight years, respectively, for the crime, for perverting the cause of justice, arson with intent, you know what I mean, to endanger yeah. life, etc., etc. And um, they were very, very damaged by this, this, by what had happened. Now, the one piece of evidence which would have cleared their name if the police would have done their homework was what petrol started the fire, whether it was leaded or unleaded. Right. Our understanding was it was, uh, it was leaded which started the fire and she was seen filling up at the garage in only putting it into a car, not in a container or anything like that. And the prosecution right. made out, that's where she got the petrol from to light the fire. But it was unleaded. So right. it proves without a shadow of doubt um, it wasn't Annette Hewins and it wasn't the other two girls. Now, unfortunately, Annette Hewins died back last year because she never got over the miscarriage of justice. I mean, her marriage split up. She lost a, a marital home. She had a child born while she was in prison. I mean, she had the baby taken off her, Joshua, when she was in prison. I mean, it was awful, awful. I was oh, very surprised. It, it's a shocking case. Uh, and I... I, 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 I if people read it, Stephen Kiskos was quite bad. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm sure people remember Stephen Kiskos' case quite well. This is on par with that. Okay. Annette was 51 when she died. And I was very close to Annette. You know what I mean? I, I know all the siblings. I know the family. And when I come out, the first thing I did was campaign for her. You know what I mean? And I went yeah. to the hearings. I was there when she got freed. Um... So the case was eventually overturned. It was, it was overturned, but the police said they weren't looking for anybody else. You know, the same old syndrome as they do. Right. And uh, they've never, they, they part, partially acknowledged in a civil action Annette brought um, in 2000 that she didn't take part in, in, in the booth. They stopped short of saying sorry. You know, they were, as, as per usual, you know, they won't come out and say, 100% no, we know you've never done it. And mm -hmm. the devastating impact, if anyone wants to see what an impact of miscarriages of justice had on a one person, read up on Annette Ewings. I mean, so sad. So, yeah, she had five children. She left five children behind. They're all grown up now, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's left a devastating effect on, you know, it devastated me when I found out. I read in the newspaper that she had died. And it had an effect on me because we were so close. We campaigned yeah. together. She campaigned with me when we come out. We asked for a, a judicial inquiry into South Wales Police. And we worked together. You know, um, I, I, I just feel numb that she's gone. I can't believe that she's gone. But the most important thing is I've taken up the baton now to try and get the case reopened with the, the dossier, the book. I mean... The book, I wanted to do a, a number of purposes, not just one. I want justice for the victims' families in all the cases because they deserve justice. We're the secondary victims. We need justice. We need the real people who did these crimes to be caught and put behind bars. It's, it's as simple as that. 
And the other, the other thing for me is the accountability. Why haven't anybody had, uh, taken responsibility for all these miscarriages of justices, which has gone on in South Wales? And I don't mean just the police. I mean, the barristers, the solicitors, they couldn't defend the cat, let alone a human being. Some of these solicitors in Wales, absolutely appalling. It's uh, shocking, isn't it? Well, it, well, it, you know, you know, we all we all know because I've been working on miscarriages of justices now. I'm coming up to my thirty fifth year. You know, I started in nineteen eighty seven. You know, to give you an example, along you know, with my own case, and then I worked even when I was in prison. I used to help other people with their cases. Uh, yeah. And most of the people I was in prison with have got their name cleared. Peter Fell, um, George Long, McCarthy Three, Father Brothers, you know, just to name but a few people I was in prison with who got, you know, the, the Guildford Four, the Birmingham Six. I could go on. And yeah. my judgment wasn't wrong, you know, when I was looking at the people I used to hang around with. And it was the same with Jeremy. To be fair to Jeremy, I knew he didn't do it. I just, you could see it. You know, the way he behaved, he was impeccable, he was articulate, he could put his case across. And, you know, that's why I support Jeremy, because I, I know that he could not have done that crime. Same as I know Annette Hewins couldn't have committed that crime. The Absolutely. same as Guy Morris couldn't have committed that crime. And as you know, there's been some new developments down in Wales. There has, Mark. I was just going to ask you about Guy Morris, because unfortunately he died not very long ago. Uh, and his case still isn't resolved. And I wonder if you could talk to people about his case and for people who are not aware, because it is a very big case in South Wales, isn't it? Well, it's hit all the papers in uh, England and as England as well. You know, they, they, the, the two pieces of crucial pieces of evidence they, they, they're hang, hanging on him is basically they found a sock with a bit of his blood in the victim's home. But what they didn't tell you was he was having an affair with the actual woman. So there was a reason why things would have been found in the house belonging to him. But they made just out, For people who don't know, Mike, could you set the case out what, what yes. he was accused of? Please. He was accused of killing five people. Um, it's called The Cluttered Murders. There's a book out by John Morris, if anybody wants to read it, and it's called The Cluttered Murders. And there's a lot of unanswered questions in the time allowed, we've investigated the case, so the BBC, and in the time allowed, he could not have committed the offence. He was drunk that night, he was supposed to work for miles, he was supposed to have gone to the house, cleaned up all the forensic evidence, leaving no fingerprints or anything of the sort, and, he, and, and killing these five people, uh, wiping out a whole generation of families. Uh, I mean, it was a horrific murder, murders, as, as they always are. Mm. Um, Devastating, you know. I, I, I feel for the victim's family, but I think the police have got it wrong. And this week, with that development with the sock, they're trying to insinuate that the DNA, uh, they don't know how it got transferred on there, they're saying, but they believe that's the missing link and links into the crime. And we say, well, no, that's not the case. You know, so there's a, a lot going to come out in the next few weeks on that particular case. I've done a documentary. Uh, on Sky TV and Netflix, which is coming out in January. So if anybody wants to know more about the case, I mean, that would be the, op uh, you know, it's a four-part series, and also the Cleddock Murderers, but, uh, you know, Cleddock Murder book by uh, John Morris, by the same publishers as what I've got, is Siren. And it goes into great detail, 
they didn't have no evidence. You know, there was a, a piece of evidence where a police officer reckons he overheard him telling his lawyer that he did do it. And we say that that conversation never took place. It was, yeah. it was lies. They reckon they bugged, their, um, they bugged the solicitor and the solicitor said that that did not happen. Yeah. That's very similar evidence to what they did in my case with a confession outside the cells and in the Welsh conspiracy case. And it links up nicely with all the other cases. Don't they just believe what police officers say, don't they? And that's one of the major flaws, is that their word is always believed above the, the accused person's word. And yet this person hasn't been convicted of any crime. And, you know, they might be of impeccable character, yet they always believe the police officer. Well, th this is the thing. I mean, Panorama highlighted Dan Morris's case, and I, and I took part in that programme. Um, when I, I put a dossier together for the Home Office to reopen all the cases and to look at them again. And they refused to do so. They tried to blank me, like as if I didn't exist. You know, the, 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 the judicial inquiry I'm looking for now into all these cases has to come to fruition when there's 15 cases. You know, I mean, 15 cases is a lot in a short space of, um, you know, South Wales circumference when there's only um, a small population and yet, there's no accountability. And at Hewins, the Barbell brothers, there's, there's some other cases in here I'd like to mention briefly, if I may. Gordon Christopher Cox, he was accused of murder. Again, there was a confession outside the cells in that case. The jury disbelieved this inspector, Stuart Lewis. There was another confession in Patrick McCann's case, who was uh, accused of killing um, his landlord. Um, and his sister, who's got mental illness, um, put him in the put him in the frame. Yeah. I mean, she was more likely than not to have taken part in it rather than Paddy. Um, again, Stuart Lewis made up another confession in that case. Um, Idris Ali and Alan Charlton, same police officers, same methods of uh, they got the co-accused to confess and built the case around the confession. You know, like I did in the Darbell Brothers, Cardiff, yeah. and my case. So, you know, that, that's just giving you a, a tip, of the, tip of the iceberg of, of some of the other cases, which I don't want to go too much into detail because uh, we'll be here all night. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, people you know. can read the, you do have a book out with these cases out in the mic, which people oh, can... Yeah, it, I, don't, I don't know whether you can see that. I don't, I'm not sure if anyone can see that. Oh, right. Well, we're just on audio mic. So it's, okay. uh, the book's called The Dossier by Michael O'Brien, and it's avail is it available on Amazon, Mike? It's available on Amazon from this week, but it's also available from www.sirenbooks.com. Fantastic. So anybody who wants to read more about those cases, but I think what is um, it, it is gl glaring that all these cases of miscarriage of justice, the perpetrator, for most in most instances, is, has got away with it. I mean, we know in Jeremy's case it was Sheila and and she said that she took her own life after killing the family. But in a lot of these cases, they're unresolved, aren't they? And the, and the families of the accused and the families of those wrongfully convicted, are, while they're fighting for their justice, there is no resolution for the, the families who have lost their loved ones because the culprit's still out there somewhere and, and the police have no interest in, in finding them. 
But that's what I find most disturbing because if they've killed once, what's to stop them from killing again? Mm, this is the funny. thing. And, you know, in, in some of the cases um, which I've got in my book, I mean, like the murder of Philip Saunders, what we were convicted of, that person is still out there. I could have walked past him in the street. Yeah. I wouldn't have known. I could be a target because I'm making so much waves, you know, trying to get the real killer behind bars. I could be the next target because if I get too near the mark, what's this person prepared to do? Well, we know he's prepared to kill because he's already done it once. So these are all all, all the factors which people don't really look at. Uh, and, you know, I, I've had a breakthrough in my particular case recently where I'm doing a Sky TV documentary next year, another one. Uh, we'll start filming in November and it's all about the newsagent murder. And Raphael Rowe is going to be doing it. He was only convicted himself. And it's a 25 case. He's, he's the presenter. Uh, they've been out to see me yesterday. And one of the victim's family may be taking part in the programme. That's a significant step because they've always believed that we were guilty. So yeah. now the tide is turning slightly. And I think he realises... So we're both on the same page. We want the person responsible because he's ruined both our lives. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, getting justice for everybody and not just for the one or two. You know, um, I'm championing the cause of 15 cases and I would put my neck on the chopping block and say, I believe every single one of those in my book are innocent. Mm, and that means in, there's a lot of people outside who shouldn't be outside. And there's a lot of people in prison who shouldn't be in prison. You know, going back to Jeremy, you know, I knew from the very first day I met Jeremy, I remember talking to him. I remember him showing me ballistic testing, uh, everything, um, you know. And I believed him straight away because I just knew he was telling the truth because he was like me. All we talked about was the case. Nothing else yeah. mattered. The case, we were obsessed with him. Anyone who is innocent in prison cannot stop talking about their innocence and their case. And, Jeremy, and 36 years later, Jeremy is still, still doing that yeah. every day, talking about his case, the evidence, and new evidence, that still looking for evidence. You don't do that if, if you're guilty, do you? No, you 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 just go away and you do your sentence. I mean, what I found with some people who said they were innocent and wasn't, and I found that they wasn't innocent, was after the for the first six months of their imprisonment, of their life sentence, when they get it, they say, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. But then when they realise they're never going to get out, or if they've got, got no chance of parole because they're saying they're innocent, they start backing down then and they go, okay, mm. well, yeah, I was there, but I didn't do what they say I did. And then they start minimising their role, you know? Yeah. And then you find out that... You find out that they're just saying it for the sake of saying it. They were innocent. Mm. But then after six months, they come to terms with it and they say, well, yeah, I did do it. I didn't mean to do it, but I did do it. You know, yeah. because they know yeah. that's the only way they're going to get out. You know, that, yeah. I, I, I was the opposite me. I told them I didn't want parole. I told them where the sun don't shine. <laughs> you know, I know it's terms as you can imagine. Um, I was furious when I mentioned parole to me, saying with an attitude like Al O'Brien, you will never get out. I said, well, so be it. I'll die in prison then. But I'm still an innocent man. And I hadn't, you know, and that was my attitude. And Jeremy's got that same fight in spirit. And that's, that's the Jeremy I remember. Yeah, definitely. And that was a long time ago, but... Oh, I still the same. In fact, more so, you know, yeah. it's... 
it's um, with the evidence we've got now, which is far more substantial than it's ever been before, and uh, especially with the case now back with the Criminal Cases Review Commission for consideration, it's like, you know, we, we really feel like this is it now, that Jeremy is going to get his justice, you know, I believe long this, last. I, I believe this is it for Jeremy. I think this is going to be the what breaks the camel's back. And the most mm. important thing as well, it's going to show the criminal justice system from what it is. And there's going to have to be a world commission, bigger than the Birmingham Six, bigger than the Guildford Four, mm. bigger than all our cases put together because of the length of time he's done and the significance uh, significance of the wrongful conviction. And, mm. it, you know, I really do feel um, the heads are going to roll. They're going to have to roll. Well, we're hoping some good will come for it regarding other people, Mike, and that the disclosure laws will have to change, that, that how they look at sentences will have to change, that the way that they deal with cases at the Criminal Case Review Commission will have to change. There's got to be change. Um, the, the most important thing for me is there's got to be, a, there's got to be accountability in Jeremy's case and all these cases. It's not just the one or two. You know, people believe that miscarriages of justices are very rare. But as I pointed out earlier, there was 85,000 people acquitted in 1989, yeah. between 1989 and, you know, there's probably even more now, it's probably over 100,000, you know, since uh, since uh, we last done the check on the, with the Innocence Project. The yeah. So it's probably over that now, it's probably double. So I'd like to find out the facts as they are today and see how many... People have had their cases over I will try and find that out for, you know, I think for another podcast, that would be very useful information. I think so too, man. To, to have. But, you know, um, going back to Jeremy's case, like, you know what I mean? Um, people get the wrong impression of Jeremy. As I said to you, you know, I initially got the wrong impression of Jeremy, you know, and I apologised to him for that because I did get him wrong. You know, first of all, you know, I thought he was a bit brazen. Do you know what I mean? But it wasn't that. He was confident. Confidence, which I didn't exactly. And it's like how Jeremy's explained to people. He went to boarding school. And at boarding school, that's what you're taught. You be confident in yourself. You be assertive about yourself. because, oh. And that's how it was. In the boarding school, They were, that's how they were taught, to be confident, to be... But if you've never come across somebody like Jeremy, you know, I, I mean, I went to a... A, just a normal comprehensive school where your confidence is um well I didn't have no confidence you know I was bullied in school you know I was the total opposite to Jeremy you know we talk and cheese you know lifestyles like you know so when you meet Jeremy you can easily get the wrong impression but when you start talking to him and listen to what he has to say he's very articulate and you know he's very confident fair play to him and he's had to be and he's had to be very assertive because I know people tried to do him harm when I was in prison. I do know that. And Jeremy had to, you know, toughen up a bit, like, you know what I mean? Because he's, yeah. Jeremy wasn't a fighter. He was like me. He wasn't a fighter, you know, to go and punch somebody or whatever. Like, you know, he was a, he was a very unassuming man in that respect. You know what I mean? He didn't like conflict. But there was always some person, because he was Jeremy Bamber, you know, people wanted to score political points against him. And yeah. if, they wanted to, if, if somebody wanted to hurt him... Uh, try and hurt him, they would see that as like a, a trophy, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it was all, all those things I can remember. And, you know, 
he's come a long way, Jeremy. There's no doubt about it. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, he's had to adjust. And I take my hat off to him, you know, the way he's conducted himself in the face of severe adversity in the press sometimes as well. You know, I've seen some of the articles. Um, I've been oh, called... Immediately by relentless, aren't they, Mike? It's just... Oh, I've been called a crack. Oh. I'm a Bamba supporter and a car thief. Um, what a terrible mix that was, somebody said to me. I went, oh dear, I said, you don't know nothing about miscarriages. If you've got nothing to say, I ship your guns. And I was on one of my, uh, <laughs> that, was, that was on one of my uh, videos I'd done, like, you know, where somebody said, oh, you know, he's a th- car thieving Bamba supporter. What more can you get? You know what I mean? And basically calling me a scumbag and everything. I was like, wow, you don't even know me, you know? Right. But, you know, but so I can, I know that, Jeremy's had some bad stick, but I, I, I know the Jeremy, and I am confident, I've told everybody. I, when I took his T-shirt over to Armenia, it was fantastic. I wish you could have been there to see it, and the reaction from people in the street, do you know what I mean, uh, the TV shows. I'm going to try and get the one where the TV show was actually mentioning Jeremy Bamba when he was interviewing me. Who's yeah, Jeremy well, Bamba? Right. Well, yeah, that I, would be fantastic. I am trying to get that. But I have got I have got photographs somewhere of me and Armenia stroking the, all these straight cats with Jeremy's top on, like you know <laughs> what I, mean? and, and I went on the shows and did it, like you know. So oh. in Armenia, people people see me on the TV. I went down to the local market. I'll give an example, and a guy went like that because he couldn't speak the language. He went TV, you know, square. Oh, and I, I see you TV, you like that. <laughs> and, oh, that's and, wonderful. And yeah. I, I, I wore Jeremy's top nearly all the time, like, you know what I mean? Oh, For that whole fantastic. week. I really have just been an amazing support, Mike, and yeah, you know, we can't thank right. you enough for everything that you do for us and for Jeremy and, and for everybody else. You wish you all could these cases. Them, you? you wish you could do more, though. You, you never feel it's enough. I will never feel it's enough until I see him walking out that court of appeal. Oh, that will happen. Yes, yeah. it will happen. I, 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 I believe that. And all these people who've called me a crank like they did in Barry George's case and all that, I'm going to say, told you. And exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll all have, we told you so, T-shirts on outside the court. Yeah, that's right, outside the court. Yeah, what have you got to say now for yourself? Yeah. A lot of people have an egg on their faces, especially that Caroline Lee. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, I see she did an article this week in one of the newspapers. Did you see that? No, no I didn't, didn't see that. Caroline Lee. And an what did she say? Article. Well, she was basically saying, it was in the, I'm sure it was in the mail or the mirror. I'll have to try and find it for you because I looked at it and I, I put on it, lying, lying bitch, I put on it to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I said, she doesn't, you know, and it was somebody put it on Facebook as well. It, was, it, is, it is about that. Uh, she was saying, I met Jeremy, I got all his letters from Jeremy and I know that he did it. And she was saying stuff like that. I was like, wow. Well, we never met Jeremy. Well, we we met her, Mike, a couple of weeks ago at the Crime Court convention, oh, and she she was did. quite shocked when we rocked up and uh, had a chat with her. Oh, I, I, I bet that was interesting. There'd been a fly on the wall there. Well, yeah, <laughs> she, she she was a bit taken aback. I can tell you, but we were we were very polite to her, and uh, in fact, she yeah. did comment how lovely we were. <laughs> well, I mean, she just had to make money. She was. That's all she was interested in. Nothing else. Absolutely. And you know, I, I tell people. People 
saying, oh, that, that book on the farm. And I said, no, don't read it. It's a load of rubbish. She hasn't put none of the new evidence in it. She knows nothing. Uh, and I tell people. But it's like, that's like the, the latest Louis Theroux Mindhouse programme, Mike. I don't know if you've watched it, but it is absolutely not a single shred of evidence anywhere. It's talking heads giving opinions. And, you know, as you know yourself, we were working with them. And when we, they told us we're not showing any evidence, well, they wouldn't let us talk about the evidence. We got told they didn't want to show the evidence. And... They obviously, we were told correctly because they didn't. Um, well, they, they were they were working with me as well. They they contacted me and five times she tried to set up an interview. In the end, I said to her, "Listen, I got better things to do than you to mess me around. This is mm. something life we're talking about here. This ain't no game." And she didn't yeah. like it. She didn't yeah. like it. I saw her all the messages on Facebook where on on Twitter where she's you know she she contacted me. I didn't mm. contact her. Oh, you know Jeremy, are you prepared to... I said, well, of course. Anything to help Jeremy's cause and to tell the truth. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And she put off, put off, put off, put off. And I just thought, oh, you waste of time, you were. I just it's the same it. with everybody, Matt. Yeah. That's how we knew that they weren't prepared to show the evidence because they wouldn't hear it off us. Uh, everybody we sent, well, so and so and so and so on, leave them lists of names of people who were prepared to talk to them. And they weren't interested. They never contact. They'd have a phone call with them, and then that would be it. So, you know, it's clear what their agenda was. It certainly wasn't to even let the viewer decide. It wasn't even that. It wasn't. This is what the police say. This is what the campaign found in the evidence. What do you think? Didn't even give people that opportunity. No, because they were too busy trying to find evidence to condemn Jeremy, like they did in. Di Morris's case this week. Yeah, they didn't find any, did they? Because there no, wasn't any. Because there was never any. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we know who was responsible. I tell everybody, anybody dares to say to me online, I've had a few ding-dongs with people, mind you know me, over the years. <laughs> and I just tell them as it is. I say, what do you actually know? Oh, well, I've read the police, what the police have said, and this, that, that. And I've read the Daily Fail, and I've read this, and that. I said, oh, no, <laughs> I said, you know, because uh, that's what I call it, a daily fail, because it, it fails everybody, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it and, and it doesn't know the truth, the same as a Sun newspaper. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, somebody once, I went into the shop, and they said, oh, there's a free newspaper there, you can, you can have it. I said, no, I don't need any toilet paper, thank you very much. <laughs> 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 so, it, it, you know, um, and I made a joke about it, because... I wouldn't have that paper in my house, let alone use it for bog paper. You know, so you know, that that's that's where we are, like, you know, but I just feel it's Jeremy's time now. I think now they've they've got to let him out. They've got his and the CCRC, I had a conversation with them before, and I'm trying to think of the, the CCRC guy who I spoke to. Uh, he knows me quite well and he's been on the circuit on the miscarriages of justice circuit and he speaks out uh you know speaks about the ccrc or did he's not there anymore i'll find out his name because i know you'll know him and he turned on to me when they referred his case in 2002 he said he should have got his name cleared then and that was the ccrc so i know deep down that they know that this case uh so they're going to make sure it's watertight this time and i think this yeah. time they yeah. know well, we know the submissions are watertight. We know they slam dunk. So 
they've just got to get on with it and do what yeah. they need to do and get it back into the court as soon as possible because mm -hmm. every day that goes is a day too long. Well, the, the old saying is justice delayed is justice denied. Exactly. And as I've always said, I said to you know I've said to many people before, a miscarriage of justice will not lie dead in a grave somewhere. It will come up and rise up and haunt them all. And this is what's going to happen with Jeremy. And it's going to be a lot, a lot of people in serious, serious trouble mm. for what has happened. The ramifications for Jeremy getting his name cleared. Is going to be and, and hopefully the South Wales police officers as well who are involved in the cases in your book, Mike. Yeah, well, definitely. you know, I've been, I've been at this for 35 years now and I've been trying to get them for many years and they seem to be untouchable, but they... I don't think they understood my resolve or tenacity. I thought they thought that I'd get my compensation and I would just go away into the sunset, find a nice woman, and there we go, we live happily ever after. But those things that are just uh, don't happen, you know. Really. No. And no. I, you know, I was never about money. The compensation. If they said to me that you're not entitled to compensation, I would have just thought, I would have still fought for, for like I am now, like you know what I mean? Because it was about justice. I would exactly. rather. Uh, a real killer of Philip Saunders behind bars than have any compensation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You know, to be honest with you, if I had a choice, and I, and I had a choice, right, then you have a, a real killer behind bars or you can have a million pounds in compensation, I know what I would have said. Mm -hmm. you know, that's the difference. Exactly. You know, as I said, I live in a council house, do you know what I mean? There's no ways and graces with me. I'm still the same person I was before I went in. I'm just more educated. And, you know, I don't suffer fools gladly anymore like I used to. And, and you've done such a lot to help other people and to support other people. It's just incredible the work you've done, Mac. But Jeremy, this, I reckon Jeremy will be a big, big help when he comes out. I mean, his voice will be massive. Yes, Absolutely. it will. Absolutely. He'll be the big voice. He'll be the one everybody will look up to and think, wow. You'll be able to team, to team up together and go, oh, go on your roadshow. Justice Roadshow with Michael and Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 you know, well, I tell you what, it'll be the Antiques Roadshow, but I'm not going to Me and Jeremy have been uh, antiques. Do you know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> you know oh. what I mean? Well, we're going to have to leave it for today. Thank, well, thank you so much, Michael, for highlighting those other cases for us. And I know that you've got a lot more cases that you want to talk to us about. So we'll do them on another podcast, but it's been absolutely brilliant. So oh, for yeah. today, we'll say thank you very much to Michael. And thank you very much to Philip. And we'll see yeah, you and all thanks, soon. thanks from me, Mike. Great yeah, stuff. No, thank, thank you for letting me do this. I'm, I, I'm very pleased to do this and be able to help and show people that, you know, miscarriages of justices are still going on today. They're not, they're not, I want to, I want to get this notion out that they're not, um, individual cases and they're not, um, how can I put it? Um, they, there's more miscarriages of justice than what people can ever imagine. They just got to look yeah. and, and watch and see, you know, they're, they're not just rare occasions. So that's all I can say. Like, I and can they're not going to go away because no, they need to fight this. You have to have accountability before people will listen. And if there's no accountability for anybody, there will always be miscarriages of justices. And I've said this time and time again. And I hope people will take that on board as well. It's just got to yeah. stop, hasn't it? Got to Great. stop, yeah. Thank you very much.
Thanks again, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to lend your support to Jeremy Bamber, you can write to him in the UK using the number A5352AC, HM Wakefield, 5 Love Lane, Wakefield, WF2 9AG, or see our website for details at www.jeremy-bamber.co.uk. Thank you.